We are so excited to share that we have a new opportunity for folks working in family ministry, the Rooted Family Ministry Mentorship Program. It provides both small group and individual coaching for volunteers, youth pastors, or associate pastors who oversee family ministry in their church context. This one-year-long program includes small groups of six to eight led by one mentor in both a cohort and an individual setting through a carefully crafted 12-month curriculum. The curriculum is designed to help you grow spiritually as an individual and as a leader in your congregation. You'll also receive a 12-month subscription to Rooted Reservoir Family Discipleship courses. At the end of the program, you'll be prepared to equip the volunteers and parents in your congregation to disciple the next generation to know and love Jesus. Additionally, you'll receive a Rooted Family Ministry Certificate to signal that you've completed our mentorship program. We are launching a limited number of pilot groups in January 2024, and you are invited to apply. If you are interested, visit rootedministry.com mentorship. Teaching children to use technology wisely. It's a daunting challenge. It's also a prime opportunity for us parents to train our children to be guided by God's Word as they make choices about technology every day. Cameron Cole and Anna Mead Harris focus on discipleship in this season of the Rooted Parent Podcast, Parenting, Technology, and the Truth. Welcome to the Rooted Parent Podcast. I'm Cameron Cole. And I'm Anna Mead Harris. They call her... I'm the team mom. What do they call me? Her big C. Wow. The big C. That's right. <laughs> um, well, friends, we are... This is going to sound like it's not... It's not even going to sound real when I tell you where we're sitting. But we're recording this podcast today by a burning fire, a fireplace. Chestnuts roasting on this open fire. It is <laughs> a right. chilly day in Birmingham, Alabama. Chilly day. It Haven't was had 27, 27 degrees when we stepped outside. Yeah, yeah. That's cold for Birmingham. So we are at our friend's house in front of this roaring fire, and it's just been delightful. That's right. It's uh, rooted. We're we're sending letters to over 500 of our friends and friends. supporters. And yeah. We put personal notes on those letters, and <laughs> that's the whole team has been circled around doing that. It's been really fun. We love to be together. We're just wishing that you are are having a good day, that you're staying warm or cool wherever you are. Um, And we're really excited about today's topic. Yeah, we really are. Um, Today we're going to be talking, so we're doing this series about about technology, uh, kids' technology and truth, Mm -hmm. and just talking about how it is that, you know, we're, we're not just trying to protect our kids from bad content. We're not just trying to have boundaries and protections, which are really important and really good. We're really trying to disciple our kids so that the truth of God's word is what informs and drives the way that they use technology so that when they're an adult and they can do whatever they want, that it's the word of God and it's the gospel that informs and drives um, the way that they relate to technology. And we try to talk about these things always uh, through the lens of the grace of Jesus, the wisdom of Scripture, and I did it backwards. You did it backwards. I I did it backwards on purpose. I was trying to keep you on the rest of the gospel. The rest of the gospel. I was like, Anna, you've blown it. Uh, No, no, no. I was trying to see if you're on your toes. This fire could make you a little drowsy, so I wanted to make sure. (laughs) We don't want to get too relaxed. No, no. And so, um, but yeah, today's topic is uh, is going to be about the countercultural nature of Christianity. 
And so if you're a parent and you, um, let's say that you have a child like in the sixth grade or the fifth grade, but particularly if you have kids who are in middle school or high school, you know that the single most common and difficult thing that you heard from your child or that you are hearing from your child, when you put any kind of boundaries and restrictions on their technology use is, but mom, everybody's doing it. it. Everybody (laughs) has TikTok. Everybody has a smartphone. Yep. No, no child in history has ever suffered as much as they have because they don't have what everybody has. Everybody has. Yeah. And that's it. This is the, um, this is the hardest part of this battle. Mm-hmm. And some of that, some of this is developmental because yeah. for an early adolescent child, the number one their deepest, darkest fear is being left out of the group. Mm-hmm. They want to fit in. Yeah, that's what they care about. So that's what's that's a reflection of them saying, "But everybody is doing it." Um, but the problem is that what everybody is doing is usually inherently destructive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that that using everybody as your barometer is usually going to cause major problems. That's right. Yeah. And so, um, and we'll talk about that, you know, a little bit more, but I think, you know, you kind of have a term parenting by committee. Yeah. And like, what does that look like, Anna, in this, you know, in this technology space? Well, honestly, um, I kind of thought this was a wise way to parent when my kids were younger, just call my three or four friends who I really trusted and liked and uh, valued their opinion and I would say, what are you doing about the party or the spend the night or the baseball season? And then it grew into, what are you doing about the phone? And I thought uh, we called it parenting by committee that, <laughs> that you would get, an, you know, what's the majority opinion? And that seemed like the safest thing to do. And so you go with that. But in fact, um, that is not to discount that a wise friend can be really good counsel. No doubt, we're not. We're not. Yeah, we're not. Uh, we're not downing. No. The you know parenting and Christian community with wise people who are following Jesus. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. But a majority opinion is usually going to take you down a destructive path rather than a constructive path. That's what I mean. Yeah. And I would say that I would say that's particularly true, um, particularly true when it comes to technology, Mm -hmm. because this is typically how uh, technology adoption occurs, like in a grade or in a community. And that is you have adopter number one Mm -hmm. and that child gets a new app or they get a phone or they get, you know, access to something. And so they get it and they go and they tell their two best friends and their two best friends say, um, go home and say, Oh, but Johnny got it. And so then there's this cascade. Well, then they get it and they tell their friends mm-hmm. and the cascade mm-hmm. occurs. And generally, you know, this is going to sound really judgmental. I don't think it is though. This is, this is just me being accurate as a person who has worked with kids for about 19 years. Mm-hmm. Generally what that means is that, the least informed Mm. and the least wise parent in the grade is the one who sets the tone. Mm. 
Hmm. for when kids get stuff. Hmm. The parent who doesn't know that for whatever reason that may be, mm-hmm. um, they don't know that you don't let a fifth grader have TikTok. Uh-huh. They don't know, you know, and, and, and whatever, whatever the reasons may be. But so generally the person who's making the least wise decisions tends to be the one who sets the tone. If you're just making your decisions based on what everybody else is doing. Yeah, that's that's so true. And I will say um, there there has been some recent research done about the influence of social media and particularly what Instagram and Facebook have done to they have done their own research about the mental health of teenagers and determined how to addict teenagers Yeah. to, and, and I'm going to link a couple of things in the show notes because being informed mm-hmm. will help you stand stronger when your child pushes against you. And, and when you see some of the research that's coming out and some of the depositions that have been taken and, and what's really going on behind closed doors, we want to stand on the gospel, but it doesn't hurt to be informed about the research either because it will back us up that these things are really dangerous. Um, yeah. So, yeah, sh- share these resources that I'm going to put in the, in the show notes with you. I think you'll be impressed with the with the research. I want to, you know, just to make this point that, you know, what, what's popular is not necessarily good and what's good is not necessarily popular. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the, the, the current that everybody's doing typically is pretty self-destructive. Here's an example of this, particularly in the space of technology. All right, so what th- there's research on, you know, how much does technology use increase your happiness? Mm-hmm. And so uh, for kids, at what point, Anna, how many how many hours or how many minutes of screen time are the point of you hit the tipping point to where after that you hit dim- diminishing marginal happiness? It is a mere. 30 minutes. 30 minutes, right. Okay, so it says, hey, if you have 30 minutes for, uh, sorry, you have screen time for 30 minutes, that actually increases your personal contentment. Yeah, that that's that's okay. That's good in the realm of, of potentially healthy. But Anna, how many hours does the average tween or teenager, how much, how was the average amount of screen time that they have in a given day? Seven hours. That's right. And Anna, um, how many hours of social social media do there's a this is a October 2023 Gallup study. How many hours of social media use do teenagers have on a given day? Four hours. Yes, almost five, like four point eight hours of social media use per day. And per just, day. Just to remind you, the point at which it's it's a increasing happiness, enjoyment, contentment, 30 minutes. 30. 30 minutes, friends. 30 minutes. So that tells you that what everybody else is doing is approximately nine times in excess of what's actually in your best interest. Yeah. And, uh... And we know this, but humans left to their own devices are going to make poor choices. That's right. And that's, you know, when we look, when we look at um, scripture and we look at Galatians chapter five, verse 16, um, T-Mom, would you read 16 and 17 there? But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Yeah, there you go. So there's this, there is this tension, there's this opposition between the spirit and the flesh. And so the point that we're really going to drive home in this episode is that when you follow Jesus, you will inherently live a countercultural lifestyle. And that is by God's design and it's for God's glory. Mm-hmm. It's for our best interest and our own blessing, but it's also for God's glory. And so, um, you know, there are a couple of quotes that we have here. Um, G.K. Chesterton, you're, you're going to like this one a lot. This is a really good one. When we live Christian lives, we are swimming against the stream of the popular culture because Christ himself was countercultural. To follow Christ is to be against the stream, but fully alive. There you go. And so, yeah, I mean, he's just saying like against the stream mm-hmm. that that walking up or swimming up against the stream. Is, is that easy? No, no. It, it's constant effort. And and but I love that he ends with fully alive. I mean, that's right. The life that we're trying to lead our children to is the abundant life in Christ. That's right. We're we're not saying no and putting restrictions and trying to lead them a countercultural direction just so our family can be different and cool. We're trying to lead them to joy and peace and life in the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And hallelujah. Yeah. And so, you know, so on, so basically what we have to understand is that there are two currents, like there's the current of our own sin, the current of, of our own individual flesh. And so us in our default mold mode without repentance and without, you know, the, the grace and the power of the Holy spirit, um, you know, we're going to, we're going to go in an inherently bad direction that that, that leads to death, not to life. And so it takes effort and intentionality with the help of the Holy spirit to walk in the way of Christ, which is the way of life. Mm -hmm. That's hard. That's Mm -hmm. a battle. Mm -hmm. It's really a struggle. But then there's also the current of the world. Like, you know, the, at the, at the cosmic global level that that's pushing against us. And that's, you know, that's another, current, so to speak, mm-hmm. um, that makes this, that makes walking in the way of life challenging. Yeah. This, this, what we're talking about today is, uh, is not an easy way of life. It's not, it's, it's hard. Um, I want to share with you something that John Stott said, instead of always being one of the chief bastions of the social status quo, We are not called to be a bastion of the social status quo, he's saying. The church, the body of Christ in the world, is to develop a Christian countercultural with its own distinctive goals, values, standards, and lifestyle. A realistic alternative to the contemporary technocracy, which is to be marked by bondage, materialism, self-centeredness, and greed. Oh, we don't want that, do we? Christ's call to obedience is a call to be different, not conformist. Such a church, joyful, obedient, loving, and free, will do more than please God. It will attract the world. Mm. It is when the church evidently is the church and is living a supernatural life by the power of the Holy Spirit that the world will believe. Right. Okay. So this is so good. This captures both the countercultural nature, Mm -hmm. but also... The, the, the 
big missional function of being countercultural. And that's what we're going to get to here um, in our next part, but that, that it's for God's glory and it's for the advancement of the kingdom mm-hmm. that we are different. And so, so just the, the two fundamentals that we'll kind of start with before we get into these scriptures in Exodus chapter 19 and first Peter chapter two is that first, like after the fall, you have two worlds in Genesis three fifteen, you see that there's the, um, the, the symbol of that is the woman and the serpent, mm-hmm. but they are, um, they signify the kingdom of light, which mm-hmm. is the woman. Uh, and you have the kingdom of darkness, which is signified by the serpent. Mm-hmm. And it's, and God says that there is enmity, murderous hatred between those two realms. And so there, um, yeah, so there, there's just going to inherently going to be a tension. So when you become a believer, you are transferred. This is what Paul says in, in Genesis, sorry, in Colossians chapter one, is that you are transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's son. And so you're, you're living in a different world, but there is battle going on, tension between those two worlds. And the second thing is that God, as God in the Bible, and we'll get into this quite a bit, God in the Bible establishes a people for himself and they live in a different way for God's glory in order to attract people to the goodness, the love, and the holiness of the Lord God himself. Um, so that's where we're going. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna see that at the very beginning um, in Exodus, where God is going to establish His people. This is the nation of Israel, and He says we're gonna um, hear God speaking to them in Exodus nineteen five and six. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Yeah, there it is. God first establishes his people in Genesis. When God calls out Abraham, makes the covenant with him. You know, you're going to be the father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. You're going to be a blessing to the nations. Um, but his people get increased definition when he makes this covenant with Moses. So that this is um, happening after they have come out of Egypt. And God, you know, in saying you're going to be my treasured people, my treasured possession, you're going to be a kingdom of priests. He's saying like, you're going to be a vehicle through which my glory is going to shine Mm -hmm. in the world. Mm -hmm. Let's think about what, what priesthood is. Mm -hmm. It is bringing people to God. There it is. And by establishing a nation of priests, he was establishing a nation that would say to the world, this is the one true God. Right. Let me show you what he's like. Amen. Right on. And so um, so then after he says this, this is when what you're going to see in, in, in you know, the remainder of the Pentateuch as God delivers his law is that the law is the, the laws, whether it's, you know, laws related to social justice, laws related to morality and ethics, laws related to religious purity that the Jews were going to be totally unlike the rest of the world, totally unlike the rest of the world, you know, in terms of their sexual ethics, they were going to be very different. Um, in terms of the way that you would be, um, seek the welfare of orphans and widows that you would, um, that you would take care of the poor that, you know, everyone had to leave a certain part of their crop for the poor, like an instituted welfare system, 
um, the the laws they had that protected the vulnerability of, of slaves. And, and when I, by that, I mean like people who voluntarily entered into indentured servitude, mm-hmm. totally different, mm-hmm. like radically different from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then too, the way they worshiped one God and they observed a Sabbath and the, you know, and there was such a, um, such a religious purity in what they did and such a commitment, totally different from the rest of the world. And so, you know, and, and it says so that they would be a light to the nations. Mm. And so, and, and that the glory and the holiness of God would be manifest to the other nations and they'd be drawn to the worship of the Lord. So, you know, so that, yes, but everybody else we're, that we're doing it different from everybody else. Like that's the point. Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah, and and that's not to say because you're doing it different means you're right. But if you're doing it out of you know obedience to the call of Christ, and obedience mm-hmm. to Scripture, mm-hmm. then you you are going to cut against the grain. Yeah, and that's for God's glory. Mm. And and I love that because he's he's not hiding a purpose. He's not just calling out a people uh, for the sake of of marking them as his own. But he yeah. he is doing it for their thriving and for for the coming of his kingdom. Absolutely, for their own blessing mm-hmm. and for the redemption of the world. Right. Um, so you know, good individually, but also good society. So let this be a comfort when you're having trouble yourself going against the grain yeah. of the culture. There's there's a reason. There's a purpose to the to the swimming against the stream. Yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. All right. So then the next scripture that's very closely related to the the text from Exodus 19 is 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 9 through 12 and you're going to see the same language. And so what's going on here is Peter is making the point that believers in Christ, whether you're Gentile or Jewish, the believers in Christ are the are the people of God. They are the new covenant people of God. And um it's not defined just as the Israelites. It's defined as those who put their faith in Christ and, and in whom the Holy Spirit dwells. Mm-hmm. And so let's let's look at this text, if you don't mind, Anna, and you'll see it's very similar, um, very similar principles at play here in this First Peter text. First Peter two nine, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. All right, look at about look at that. You know, what's the last thing that's said there? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you, they may see your good deeds and glorify mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. Glorify that God would be glorified, mm-hmm. that the holiness and the goodness of God would be seen in our lives. And he, again, he refers to these Gentile Christians as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, 
a people for his own possession. Same language yep. as Exodus 19. Mm-hmm. And so that function, the function he has the Jews to be a light to the nations, is true of us too. Um, and 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 that same principle that what he calls us to is cuts against the grain that that, that, that was true for the Jews is true for us as well. Mm-hmm. Again, for his glory, but also for our welfare. Right. Right. Speaking practically yeah. about this, mm-hmm. I, I want to acknowledge that when we are battling with our children about, say, getting Instagram, and mm-hmm. they really, really want Instagram, and they're hammering at you, and they're coming at you when you're tired, and when you're hungry, and when you're irritable, and <laughs> you've had a long day, and they want to fight this again, and the reason that they give is everybody else is doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it is really hard not to give in. Mm-hmm. You know, you like to fit in. Yeah, they're and getting it they out. are under a biological imperative almost to want <laughs> to try to fit in. So I just want to say this is really hard yeah. to, to stand firm against the tirade of an irritable, 12 or 13 year old girl who's not getting her way. It, it's just, it's really painful. Well, especially too, when they bring the battle to you every single day, mm. you know, I mean, they, you know, kids. And, and again, let's uh, say this with sensitivity because their deepest darkest fear is to be, is that they're not, they're going to be different. They're not right. going to fit in. They're not mm-hmm. going to be in the group. Mm-hmm. So I say this with sensitivity and, and, and we have to be really careful not to be harsh knowing that, how much this is hitting their existential developmental buttons. Right. Right. Um, but they, they tend to take on a world war one trench warfare <laughs> type military tactic against their parents. Yes, they do. Yeah. Of like wear you down, you know, I'm where they're going to, I'm going to, I'm going to wear you down. I'm going to wear you down. I'm going to wear you down. I'm going to hit every day bombs every day, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so it is, it is really hard. It's hard for the parent. It's hard for the kid as well. And, and I encourage you to, if you're under attack like that, go back to these verses. Yeah. And, and really remind yourself why you're holding the line that you're holding, whatever it, you have decided that may be. And, and let scripture encourage you that, that your firmness on behalf of your children is for God's glory. That's that, right. That's your goal. And, yeah. But this is, this and is for hard. and for our individual welfare. Yeah. Yes. God's yes. glory, but our individual welfare. Yeah. It is better for your children that yeah. you don't give in. Yeah. It, it truly is, and the research validates that when it comes to mm-hmm. when it comes to this technology and yeah, um, yeah, because there is there is like clear research that tells us that like hey, it's just not a good idea to have a smartphone before eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, and there is you know plenty of research that tells us that. Boy, it is really going to spike a kid's anxiety for them to be on a platform-based social media like Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, uh, you know, before they're 16 years old, mm. you know, yeah. before 10th grade. Um, there is research that tells us and there's science that tells us that because of the limited executive functioning of kids who are pre-adolescent, which is, you know, pre, pre-16, that any kind of addictive type technology like YouTube and, but more so TikTok, it is, it's just a kid cannot handle mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. you know? And so, but that is totally abnormal. Like 
in the culture. In the culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What everybody is doing is completely flies in the face of what research is telling us is best practice in terms of the mental health and the safety Mm -hmm. of kids. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, back to what you said, it being hard, you know, the script scripture is clear. Like, don't be surprised that this is hard. Yes. Yeah. That's first Peter chapter four, verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Mm -hmm. Like he, Peter is saying like, Hey, that you living different, like, don't be surprised when you get judged or when you get excluded or when there's difficulty that comes with it. Like that, that is, that is how Jesus said it's going to be. And that's what Jesus says in John 15. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Mm-hmm. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. And remember what I told you as a servant is not greater than his master. Mm-hmm. So yeah, like it's, I think it's helpful for us to not be surprised because I do think a lot yes. of times we're caught off guard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we're caught off guard. Um, as parents, you're caught off guard as a Christian, like, oh, doing the like smart, wise thing is, boy, it's not very popular. No, no, no. So fortify yourself in the scripture, fortify yourself in prayer. Um, and, you know, I didn't mean to disparage good friends. You, might, oh, yeah. you, you, you can find some friends who who love Jesus and want to walk with him the way that you do yeah. and, and, and want to be countercultural with them. Um, with their, you know, with their children and the way they shepherd their children. Um, yeah, no, no doubt about that. Like you, we need, we need to find strength in community, find mm-hmm. strength in the Lord. But here's one of the things I would say, this is one of my biggest, like, if you're going to hear something, hear this takeaways. And this is something like, as I've been thinking about the countercultural nature of being a Christian family relative to this technology conversation is that, the difficulty of being countercultural, like it's it's not going to go away. Like the the current the current of society going in a destructive direction direction, it's it's going to follow your child throughout their life for their whole life yeah. for their whole life. Okay, so let's 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 think about this. Like, okay, if if what everybody else is doing is you know the standard, well, what everybody else is doing in high school you know, relative to a lot of different things is pretty destructive. What, what everybody else is doing in college, if you, if that's your standard, if that's, if that's kind of be what defines the way that you live, well, that means that you're going to be sleeping around doing drugs mm-hmm. and binge drinking in an extremely dangerous manner. Cause that's <laughs> the norm. That is the norm in, in, in college communities, mm-hmm. uh, you know, hookup culture, drug use, binge drinking, you know, if that is if, if if what everybody else is doing is the way that you're living your life, you're going to get in a lot of industries mm-hmm. where it is totally normal to be unethical, to lie, to cheat people, to cut corners, um, to you know to work in just terribly unhealthy ways or in toxic ways. And so, you you, you I I think the big takeaway for me as a parent, as someone you know, with my oldest child in the home is in the fifth grade is that like we got to start conditioning our kids to not think in terms of what everybody else is doing, Mm -hmm. but to think about like what is God's best according to scripture. Like we got to start conditioning to that early 
so that that's the way that they think and so that they are conditioned. They're conditioned to cut against the grain with humility and with charity, mm-hmm. but to be suspicious of what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. And instead to think about like, what is it that Christ, what's Christ best in this area and to be, to be accustomed to doing things differently. Yeah, that's really good because it's not just in the area of social media that our kids are going to have to, to swim against the current. There's so many ways, as you say, I, I do want to circle back with what you said about the, the dangers of this. We do this with humility yeah. and, and we train our children to think of, to question the status quo and to question what everybody in quote marks is doing. Um, but not so that we can be self-righteous. Yeah. And, and, and there is nothing that will turn others off faster than thinking that we are being countercultural for the sake of being countercultural or because we're trying to be better than everybody else. You know, I am someone who does what God wants me to do and you are not someone who does what God wants you to do. So we 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 want to be really careful to teach our children to hold their their differentness, their dedication to God's word and to walking with Jesus to hold that with humility. Because, I mean, I think, you know, I think about my flesh and my sin and, you know, you, and, you know, Tim Keller in his book, prodigal God, he talks about how you have, you know, older brothers and younger brothers mm-hmm. and, and how I mean, the older brother, and the prodigal son parable, like, he was just as sinful as the younger brother, but mm-hmm. his sin just manifests itself differently in terms of uh, works righteousness and yeah. self-righteousness and and judgmentalism. He did all the right things so that he could position himself. That's exactly yeah. right. And yeah. so I think a lot of a lot of the way that Christians take this conversation of being countercultural is one to mm-hmm. demonize the world. Right. And like, oh, the world, they're all going to hell in a handbasket. They're all so terrible. But not me. But not me. <laughs> We're so good. Yeah. So we have to be really careful that when we say like what everybody else is doing is not, mm-hmm. is generally not good, mm-hmm. that we're careful to say that with humility mm-hmm. and with compassion and, and without any self-righteousness. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there, there's a, um, yeah, there's a real danger there because I know, I mean, I can think about. Yeah, I can just think about my legalistic mm-hmm. high school mm-hmm. and, and college self who did have a sense of s- superiority yeah. because because I, I, well, everybody drinks, but I don't drink, mm. you know, like yeah. um, everybody's sleeping around, but I, I don't, I'm not doing that until marriage. Yeah. And, okay. the, and there was a sense of like moral superiority that I, I could, I could kind of would inflame my flesh. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not a badge of honor. It It's actually, um, it, it it's a humble walk before Jesus submitting to him rather than um, making a big show of how different we are from the rest of the world. Yeah. I mean, God is going to be glorified in our quiet, yes. humble faithfulness. Yes. Like he doesn't need us to also take on like the advertising and marketing department of his glory. You mean, like, I don't I'm need- going to do the right thing. I'm going to let everybody know <laughs> so that God's glorified. Everybody needs to know 
how special I am. Like, that's not where we're going. So we don't have to sit in the bleachers and talk bad about all those people that let their children have so- social media or. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, uh, that God doesn't approve, you know. Yeah, because. Yeah, we need to be careful. Because that's a, if that's in your tone. Mm-hmm. And look, there's a real danger for me that that's in my tone. Because I do kind of have, I don't know, that's, you know, I'm old, older brother type sin pattern. Your kids will hear it. And it's either going to be repellent to them or they're going to, they're going to embrace your sin. Yeah. They're going to espouse, embrace and practice your sin. Yeah. 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 So, um, so that's just kind of the, the nature of the beast there. So this is hard and we won't get it always right. Yeah. And we will fall for some, we won't even see it coming in some areas of life. It may be easy to see with a big decision like social media or a phone, um, but we might fall into living like everybody else when it comes to sports or, you know, um, something else. So so this is hard um, and God has compassion, but he also encourages us in his word to live a life um, set apart for him. Yeah. Amen. But you know what, team mom? That's... That's why we always remind you on this podcast <laughs> that God loves your child more than you do, and you can rest in that. That's right. Um, so yeah, this has been a this has been a really hard, but I think uh, edifying conversation for me. Yes, I think so. And if you need to uh, sit down by a, a spire and uh, meditate on it, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> as, as we have been, and meditate on what we've been talking here, hopefully you can find some rest and peace um, on, a, on a cold winter night. <laughs> That's right. Amen. Well, hey, thanks for, um, thanks for listening to the Rooted Parent Podcast. God bless you. We hope you have a great day. One of the most alarming trends we're seeing in teenagers these days is the prevalence of anxiety. If one of your kids or a teenager you know is struggling with anxiety, we are thrilled to share a brand new resource to help. The latest book from Rooted, Anxiety, Finding a Better Story. It's a 31-day devotional for teenagers written by mental health counselor and friend of Rooted, Liz Edrington. As a teenager, Liz felt overwhelmed by anxiety. Now that she's a mental health counselor, she wants to pass on what she's learned. Just understanding what anxiety is makes a big difference. But what makes an even bigger difference is understanding what God has to say about it. With daily scripture readings, breathing exercises, and additional mental health resources, this little book offers you comfort and help in your anxiety. See how your anxiety fits into the big story of your life and of the whole universe, and learn how Jesus can bring you peace. Order your copy of Anxiety, Finding a Better Story by Liz Edrington wherever you buy books, or purchase through the link in the show notes for this episode.